Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode, Pastor Andrew looks at how we can use our time wisely to communicate with the world around us. Making the most of the time. Paul uses this phrase, making the most of the time, in two of his epistles, in two of his letters. Firstly, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then again in Colossians 4, he says, Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. So in both passages, Paul causes to be wise. Now, when you got up this morning, was the first thought that you had is, now I really need to be wise today. Some of us wake up with real clarity. We jump out of bed and it's eager to go for it. The day has begun and let's roar on. And some of us just drag ourselves out of bed and it takes a shower and a whole bunch of other stuff before we really become awake. I won't ask you which category you're in. My gut feeling is none of us wake up thinking, I really need to be careful to be wise today. But I don't think we actually have that thought very often, do we? We just roll into situations and hope for the best. But Paul calls us to be wise. He also challenges us to become aware of the Lord's purposes in the situation we face. That is, to recognise what God is doing in the situations that confront, engage or totally overwhelm us. We get into situations where we think we're alone, but you know, God's there. You might not see him, you might not sense him, but he is there. And sometimes it is when we go to share with somebody, we need to be aware that God is there. The other day I was playing golf with three A graders. I'm a C grader, which means they're twice as good as me. And they asked me what I did, and I said, you know, I run this church at Everton Park. And anyway, one of them said to me, as we're walking between the green and the tee off, you know, the Pope's a people person, but they say that in the Vatican he rules with a fist of iron. He says, what do you think about that? And I says, well, we're a bit more collegial than that, but sometimes you've got to give orders. Yeah, he says, yeah, sometimes you do. We go over to the next tee, and I'm thinking, now, how can I come back and get that engagement back in this conversation again and there are three of us standing there and one of the A graders is hitting off. Now A graders when they hit off the ball the ball goes screaming down the fairway straight as a die most times and really far 
So I'm just getting ready to have this sort of conversation with this guy, thinking up how I would approach it. And next thing, the ball comes dribbling past us. And we're just all looking at the ball. This is an A-grader hitting the ball, by the way, and A-graders do not do that. And we're just done. And I never got that conversation because we're just all in the stitches about this guy's ball. He said, you seriously got to laugh at this one, guys. Come on, guys, laugh at this one. So that was the end of the conversation. And as I was moving along, I thought, maybe God didn't actually want me to share what I was going to say. So sometimes God will give you a prod and say, share. And other times you say, no, not that. And I assure you, that was such an unusual event to realise God is in the house. When something goes off the planet, you've got to think sometimes, is God in the house? Is God in the centre of what we're doing? And what Paul is saying, get a hold of what God is intending in the situations we face, in the people that we meet. What is God up to? We assume that God's on holiday or up in heaven somewhere and is not particularly involved in what's going on on the ground. But now God didn't send Jesus to die on a cross so he could have a holiday. He sent Jesus to die on the cross because he's intimately interested in every person on this planet from the best to the worst. And he's engaged in their life even though they don't know it. Even when they don't believe. Even when they're atheists. I was an atheist. And I'm driving down Lane Cove Expressway on my motorbike at 80 kilometres an hour and I had a blowout in the back tyre. And I thought, I'm going to hit a telephone pole. So I lay the bike over on the expressway and we're screaming down the expressway, slowing up as we went. And I bounced off the bike once, bounced back on, and it finally stopped. And I didn't have a scratch on me. The bike just had a broken bar. And there was all the damage. And I was standing there thinking, what happened here? And then this guy with a ute rocks up and he says, hey, your back tyre blew out. I says, yeah. He says, look, let's put your bike on my ute and I'll drive you home. I didn't reflect on God right at that moment, but looking back, God was there. You see, he's in the midst of life. He's not ignorant of any person or their plight. And he has such an intention for every one of us to receive and enjoy his love for eternity. So we need to know that God is intentionally involved in the situations that confront us. We just misunderstand his role and what he's trying to do. Now, sometimes these are particular situations which have been orchestrated by the forces of evil or engage people who themselves have been bound by such forces. God's intention is to breach those forces in the situations we encounter and release those who are bound from the chains of darkness that restrain them. That's God's intention. He wants to breach that darkness. He wants to set people free. But you see, evil sometimes wants to strike and sometimes our very presence there 
stops it. Just being there, let alone saying something, stops the devil in his tracks. God wants to breach the works of darkness and for us to bring his light into that darkness. Now, Paul calls us to watch our language. That is not simply a matter of not swearing, but to be gracious in the way we speak to others as well as the words that we use. I used to work at the Metropolitan Water and Sewage Drainage Board in Sydney as a civil engineer trainee. I had just recently become a Christian and we had a Christmas party. And one of our labourers had really drunk far too much. So we did what you never do to an Australian male. We hid his glass of beer behind our back. Anyway, he's trying to find out where his beer is and finally finds it behind our back. And he says, do you think I've drunk too much or something? And we said, yes, we do. He says, but I need my beer. And I said, what you really need is Jesus Christ in your life. And he went, what? He says, come over here. He grabbed me. He dragged me over to a corner. And he says, you're not going to believe this. Or he wasn't. And he says, my wife has been a Christian for 18 years. And she's been praying for me to become a Christian for 18 years. And we even had an argument about it last night in this Christmas day tomorrow, and you know what I'm going to do? And I says, no idea. He says, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I didn't believe him. He's drunk. You know, drunk say those sort of things. Two weeks later, he comes up, and he's a different guy. He says, I went to church on Christmas Day. I gave my heart to Jesus on Christmas Day, and my wife has been teaching me how to be a Christian. And he says, and this is the key, he says, I knew there was something different about you. Right? Until I had said to him about Jesus, he didn't know I was a Christian, but he knew I was different. Now, that's not blowing my own horn. We blow it, all of us, one way or the other, but sometimes we get it really right. And we need to acknowledge that sometimes we really do work with God on what he's trying to do in that person's life, and the outcomes can be just unbelievably awesome and they can be eternal outcomes. When we actually are engaging people, it also requires us to engage others in such a way that they feel uplifted by what we say to them and how we treat them. Paul goes a step further when he knows that what we say should be seasoned with salt. This means that we should not be boring or standoffish when we encounter others, but to engage them in such a way that they become more informed about our beliefs and faith for our sharing intelligently with them. Do you know we are all intelligent? We all have a mind. And my Bible says we're to love God with all our mind. So we can't put our mind on hold. We can't let it slip away. We can't get it distracted by multitudinous of other things. God wants us to use our mind to understand him, to understand his ways, to understand the message of the kingdom, 
Because only as we understand that we can sensibly share with somebody else. But we need to have our minds engaged and seasoned with salt. So what has this got to do with time? Paul is calling us to use the time we have available to learn and understand the nature of the good news of God's kingdom. There are times when we cannot readily answer the questions people ask us about God, the Bible or the church. However, we can ensure that the next time that question comes, we will know the answer. That is, of course, if there is an answer we can find. You know, there are some things that there's no real answer to in this world. As a new Christian, I was sharing the faith with people, talking about Jesus, and one really rough sort of gentleman said, he said, all right, mate, where did Cain get his wife from? I said, who's Cain? I had read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, at least three or four times, and I get to verse 18 and think, what a boring book, and close it up. Somebody should have said, start somewhere else. Just don't start in Matthew 1, verse 1. But I hadn't read the Old Testament. I had never heard of this guy called Cain. So I went and looked, and there he was. And you know, it doesn't tell us where he got his wife from. I searched and did everything I could. Who do I ask? And I said, I know who I ask. The Old Testament professor at Moore College, because I was living at Moore College as an engineering student. This is a theological college. Surely the Old Testament professor, he will know a question like this. And there he was in the quadrangle. So I walked up to him and I said, Professor Dunbar. He says, yes. He says, I have a very serious question. He says, what is it? Where did Cain get his wife from? And he looked at me and says, who put you up to this? Is this some sort of joke? Is somebody pulling your neck? Where are they? And he stormed off. And I still didn't know where Cain got his wife from. And you know, I don't think we're going to know in this world. The answer's just not there. Wiki Prattney has given the best answer I have ever heard to the question. Had a young uni student ask him where did Cain get his wife from? He says, if I was Abel, I could tell you, because Abel's Cain's brother. He says, ha, 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 very funny, Abel's dead. So when he says, well, when I die and go to heaven, I'll ask him for you. And the says, what if Abel's not in heaven? He says, well, when you die, you can ask him. And that's about the best answer to that question, by the way. Look, there are going to be some questions there are just no answer to. And there's some really emotional-type questions like, why does God allow such atrocities to occur? Well, that's a really tough question. It's really hard. But what I think you've got to do when you get questions like that, because they're as tough as where did Cain get his wife from? Maybe even tougher. You've got to be really honest and say, look, it really bothers me too. It really worries me, the atrocities of life. But all I know is what God did do. And that is he sent Jesus. And what Jesus did is he died on the cross and took every person's sin, rebellion and penalty on himself on the cross. Every atrocity you see out there, Jesus died for. 
That's about as close as I can get. Others might get closer to how do you answer those questions. So some of them are going to be tough questions, but you've got to do the work. You just can't brush it off. You see, we have to get a hold of how God has really impacted this planet and what he wants to do with that person. Now, why do we need to put the time in? This is because we need to use the time to become informed so we can defeat the wiles of the evil one and shatter the yoke and chains he has created in people's lives. Why do we actually do the hard work? It's so that we can bring the truth of God into people's lives that shatter the chains that rob them of everything that God wants to give to them. That's why we put the time in. Now, some people, however, feel inadequate about their ability to study and become informed. I fully understand this because my heart surgeons told my parents I may never, ever be good at studying and learning. And I haven't been, but over the years, I've tapped into a number of dynamics that have helped me overcome my natural inability to study and learn. Now, one of them is putting in the time, doing the hard work. And for me, it takes twice as long. When I was in year 12, I would spend twice as long studying because study wasn't easy. And I found over the years the only way I can remember stuff is to summarise them and then go back over the summaries and sometimes to summarise the summary. Because I don't remember stuff real easily. Now we need to put in the time. A second is to overcome the fear that pushes us to withdraw from the learning process or not begin it at all. John Maxwell notes, fear breeds inaction. Inaction leads to lack of experience. Lack of experience fosters ignorance. And ignorance breeds fear. We need to breach fear and go for it anyway. A third is overcoming criticism and prejudice. How many budding violinists or drummers have been told to cut out that racket or noise or simply beat it. Sometimes you've got to go past the criticism and put in the time and develop the skill anyway because down the track, God has a use for it in his own way. How many times do we step back from the learning process because we fail the test or others seem to be better at it than us. How many times do we pull back because everyone seems to be better than us or do it easier than us instead of putting it in, keep doing the work, pushing through till we get good at what we need to get good at. The criticisms will come, but what do you do with that criticism? You keep doing it more and you work on getting it better and better. We push to learn through the criticisms, including our own criticisms, our own negative thoughts, our own negative put-downs. 
And the fourth is how many times do we allow the opinions of other people to stop us doing what God wants us to do or to follow in his ways? As Paul said, let us then understand the will of the Lord and do it. Let's bow. Father God, we ask you to take a hold of us afresh, that we may learn your ways and your truth, and that we'll have the words that we need to speak to others and a gracious attitude with which to speak it. Help us, Lord, to overcome the negative criticisms that have often held us back, that we may be full on for you and your kingdom and be able to answer people when they have a question with wisdom that comes from you. Help us to wake up, Lord, every day as wise people with intention to see your kingdom grow. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.